Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. If you're ready, uh, let me just uh, lead us in a time of just, I just want to say um, um, that, okay, sorry, my name is Janice, uh, again, uh, in case you didn't catch it, I want to stop you at city. But so this morning, before we go into the word, um, just really felt during worship time that, you know, to encourage and just to, to, to have, you know, invite us to posture our hearts that this morning God wants to uh, do something that you don't expect and it's going to be uncomfortable. And it's going to be, uh, not that other weeks are comfortable, right? I mean, it can be uncomfortable every week. But just felt God remind us of that. And so wherever you're seated uh, and, and whatever it is that, you know, you came in with, you know, on, uh, on your heart, on your mind, uh, just trust that God wants to do something for you that you don't expect that is going to be uncomfortable but good. Yeah. And so I myself uh, am just sensing that and having that expectation. And so I'm going to just lead us to pray. Uh, And so pray with me. Yeah, you ready? God, we thank you that you're always the one who moves towards us. We thank you that you're always the one who knows the word in season that our hearts need. And so this morning we come not because, uh, you know, of of any other reason that is ultimately but you. And so we, we come and we posture our hearts and we say, uh, would you break up the hard ground in the soil of our hearts and cause whatever earwax that blocks our hearing uh, to be taken and removed and that you know scales from our eyes be removed as well, drop them away so that God, we can hear you clearly, see you clearly and respond to you with obedience and faith. And we ask this not because we are able, but because your spirit empowers us. And so in Jesus' name, we pray as one body. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, during the That You May Pray prayer series, uh, some of you may recall, we kind of, you know, went into a little bit of our Lord's Prayer, right? The Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. And some of you recall how we highlighted that Jesus taught his disciples to pray and say, God, you know, Father in heaven, right? Father who art in heaven, our Father. And I really feel God drawing us to revisit this, uh, even as the prayer that Tim led this morning. And just this, just this urging, I, I send God wants to do this. And so we're going to dwell on this and we're going to lean into knowing God as our Father. And now I know for many of us, it's thorny. Our understanding of Father comes with many nuances, with many experiences, uh, and, and all that. And they're unique to you, to your background, who you are, and all of it. You know, where you are even now, who you are. And so, but all that, whatever it is, we're going to turn our attention to a story in Second Samuel 9. Uh, and many things can be learned from this story, but we'll focus on just one aspect from this passage. All right? Uh, and again, uh, it's not short. Oh, can see or not? Never mind. It's actually to train your vision. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the whole intention was me trying to subtly tell you, you need to bring your Bibles. That's right. So turn your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 
because you cannot see what's on the screen. Okay, we're reading verses 1 to 13, 2 Samuel chapter 9, 1 to 13. All right. And I'll read, you can read along or your eyes follow. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodebar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house, don't know why they need to repeat it, but from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodebar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson, that is Mephibosheth, verse 10. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce, that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, verse 11. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. The word of the Lord. Now, the background to this passage, right, real quick, is that David had been anointed as king, right, uh, by Samuel to replace Saul, who, you know, had become unrepentant, just stopped listening to God. And so David found favor with the Lord, and the prophet Samuel was called by God to anoint David as the successing king. Saul didn't want that to happen, so he plotted to murder David, right? Uh, but Saul's son, named Jonathan, had become best friends with David, right? Father, enemy of best friend, okay? So think of that. So when Saul began hunting David to kill him, Jonathan went to meet David and warn him so that David could escape. And it was that time when they two made a promise, a covenant is the word. Jonathan made David promise to show kindness to his household. And then later on, Jonathan died and David mourned. And so this here is a story of us reading of Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Very long. I might just call him Mephi from now on. Okay. <laughs> Yo, Mephi. How you doing, Mephi? 
Okay. Now, how did you know Matthew feel towards? <laughs> no, not not no, okay. Matthew Moshet. Matthew is nice. How do you think Matthew felt towards David? Okay, think about that. And so he's been hiding out in Lodabar. Okay, he's lame. And the story in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, is that it tells us how Matthew became lame. All right. Uh, his nurse, upon hearing news of Jonathan and Saul that uh, died on battlefield, the nurse tried to flee with Mephi and, you know, fell in their hurry. And so he crippled his feet, both of them. And he was lame from then. So he's been living in this place, Lodabar. And so then David comes personally to him, right? And, you know, you watch a lot of those dramas where, you know, the new king needs to kill off all the family members of the previous king, right? I don't know how Matthew felt, but he probably didn't feel very chummy with David, okay, who was the enemy of his grandfather, right? So David, but he was determined to keep his covenant with Jonathan, his best friend. So he personally went to bring Matthew from Lodebar. Now Lodebar, interestingly, his name means without pasture. So like a Wild land, a land without pasture. That means not fertile, okay? Low that bar. Now, when Matthew met David, he fell on his face, okay? He paid homage means he prostrated, okay? It's not like, hey, you know, hot, hot, okay? Drink tea. It's not. He prostrated, okay? He fell on his face. And like Ziba, he called himself David's servant. You see this in verse 2, verse 6, verse 8. He paid homage, he prostrated two times in that short encounter, first encounter with David, prostrated two times. In fact, he used the word dead dog, okay, dead dog in verse 8. And I think that is to tell us he didn't think much of his life. Didn't think much of, you know, his life until then, he's better off dead. Basically, that's how he feels, worse than a dog, because not just a dog, but dead dog, okay. And dogs typically unclean, despised, and the kind of dog that he pictures is probably one without a master, without love, without home, okay? Now, have you ever realized as you read this that it's kind of like us, right? God would come to us where we are. We're living in our wildlands. We're living in our place where there is uh, not a lot of fertile growth, where there's a lot of perhaps uh, dry branches. There's a lot of just, just without pasture, wilderness. He brings us from a place of no pasture into his presence, into his abundance. And we may be crippled and we don't even know it, okay? We don't know him. We don't know really how we're broken. We know maybe sometimes we know something's off or we've become so familiar, so comfortable with our crippledness, in our, our brokenness in our life that we actually are very comfortable there. We're very comfortable where we are. There's no need to move anywhere. We manage. We still function. So much time has passed, okay? There's no need for a David to come. There's no need for God to come. We learn to cope. We don't notice we are living in Lodabar. And we have no means of seeing beyond living here. We don't have any idea how it could be different. And that's how God came to me. And maybe that's how God came to you, right? God comes, and God comes close to you, and still we would present ourselves as servants. Lord, Master, I'm so unworthy. Now, Mephi had a fear. So David had to say, 
do not fear. Because he didn't know David, he, he's heard of his reputation, he's powerful, wow, he can kill, he battles well. How he took over my grandfather's kingdom. David said, do not fear, and then he says, come to my table. And so David made sure Mephi ate at his table, as like one of his sons. Verse 10, Mephibosheth shall always eat at my table. Verse 11, Mephibosheth ate at David's table, like one of the king's sons. Verse 13, Mephibosheth ate always at the king's table. And that's not all. David said everything that belonged to Saul and all of his household belonged to Mephi. Now, what an incredible picture of covenantal faithfulness. Was it anything Mephi did? No. It was all the covenant that David made with his father, right? Like David, God would offer broken people like us a love without fear, kindness to us, restoration and fellowship at his table. And that's what God has done. Let's take a closer look at these two persons, Ziba and Mephi, okay? Let's take a closer look at them. What happened in later chapters, okay? Bear with me, but it's a very interesting character development, okay? So we're going to see 2 Samuel 16, uh, chapter, uh, verses 1 to 4. So if you're watching like a, you know, 12-episode drama, this is <laughs> 16, 12, uh, 12 episodes. This is about like the 8th eighth, eighth episode, okay? 2 Samuel 16, 1 to 4. When David had passed a little beyond the summit... Ziba, the servant of Mephi, met him. And so background is, they're here David is dealing with the mutiny of his son, Absalom, okay? Uh, no need to go into, you can go back and study some more on your own, okay? I'll just speed through the story. And so what happens was Ziba comes with donkeys heavy laden with what? 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 of summer fruits, and a skin of wine. This is a lot. And the king said to Ziba, why have you brought these? Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household, the bread and summer food for the young men to eat, the army, right? And the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, where is your master's son? Which is uh, Mephi. Where's Mephi? Ziba said, oh, he stays in Jerusalem because he says, today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father, Jonathan. Then the king said, and that's not true, by the way. He lied. Then the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belonged to Mephi is now yours, because he painted a poor picture of Mephi. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord, the king. And then we see a few chapters in what really happened with Mephi. Okay, three chapters in. 2 Samuel 19, 24 to 30. 2 Samuel 19, 24 to 30, the last long chunk. But character development, now this is episode 10. All right. And Mephi, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. Okay? He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes. From the day the king, which is David, departed, until the day he came back in safety, he has been waiting and concerned, right? 25, when he came to Jerusalem to meet David, the king said to him, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, my lord, O king, my servant deceived me. That's Ziba. 
For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king. Your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant to my lord the king. Right? So then he says, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Do whatever seems good to you. Listen carefully, the last few verses. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before you came along, right? But you set your servant, that's himself, among those who eat at your table. What right do I have to cry to the king? Then the king said, which is David, why speak any more of this? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. Mephibosheth said to the king, oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. What do you see with Ziba and Mephi? Ziba was a slave. He saw himself as a slave who needed to protect his rights, his interests. He couldn't lose the approval of the king, his master. And somehow he's found a way to kind of like make himself look good. Right, maybe he felt deserving. He has been a very good servant. He was the one who led David to Mephi after all. He wanted to have validation and acceptance, unfortunately, through lying, right, through manipulation. A servant, a slave, someone who sees himself as a slave would position himself by behavior and actions to try and earn the favor of the master. A son does not need to do that. A son knows who he or she is. David saw Matthew as a son and he didn't need Matthew to do anything to deserve his kindness, but simply because he has given his word. I don't think David wanted Ziba to manipulate to earn his favor either. That's the thing. But that's what Ziba did. But David was gracious to him. In fact, still, he offered to divide the land between the two, Ziba and Matthew, even after he knows Ziba was lying. Now, I don't understand. But a master shows kindness to his servant if the servant deserves it, right? But a father shows kindness to his son even when the son does not deserve it. David initiated this relationship when Matthew did not expect it in his pastureless land. So it's a covenant relationship, right, between him, the king, and Matthew, all resting on David's own initiative. Nothing Matthew did except receive it. And which we see, that's the thing. Matthew learned to embrace David's kindness, and it moved him to a devotion and allegiance that David couldn't have forced out of him. You know, I love this text that tells us, right, which we just read, 2 Samuel. It tells us Matthew still called himself what? Servant. If you notice, he still did. You, you place me among those who eat at your table. Verse 28. Do you remember the prodigal son story, Luke 15? What happened when the son that, you know, was wayward, he went off from home with his father's inheritance, squandered it, and found himself eating from the, you know, pig trough, whatever you pronounce it. Uh, he was eating pig food. And then he came to his realization, wait, even the servants in my father's house have better food than this. Let me go home. You know, I can at least be a servant in my father's house. That's how he saw himself. 
And oftentimes, the best we, when we recognize God's kindness, is we offer ourselves as servants, right? And there's nothing wrong, but God sets no condition for us to sit at His table. We are rightfully, positionally, His children. You know, you notice Matthew's response was, no, you know, I don't need any of these land that you want to divide between Ziba and I. I am just glad you're home safe. Now, if you're a parent, can you imagine how that feels? Is that love and devotion that you desire? Is there fear there? No. That is a, a devotion that is out of affection. And I just can't imagine how David must have felt I don't need this, O king. I'm just glad you're home safe. Matthew developed an affection for the king because he saw his kindness. Not because of what David can give to him, not because of any privileges or rights, but because of their relationship. Ziba didn't understand this in the slavery mentality. And I'm just using him as a character. I'm not like, you know, trying to butcher his character. But just reflecting on us and our slavery mentality, we function out of fear. We need to perform. We need to have self-preservation. We need to keep, take care of our rights, uh, our, our standing. Our, we need to guard, I need to guard my position. Right? I need to look out for myself. No one else can look out for me. So there is so much strife within and so much strife externally for power, for position, popularity, recognition, for acceptance. We struggle with that. I struggle with that. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted. We want to be validated. Nobody likes to be unpopular. Anyone? Maybe we say we do. I mean, we like to do the unpopular thing, you know, be all like rebel. Right? But deep down, if the entire world turned their back on you, love it? No? We all love to be accepted. But God doesn't want strife and this fear of losing our position with Him. He is our Father. He wants us to sit at the table not fearing that we are going to lose our seat anytime. We say wrong thing, we do something bad, oh naughty, okay, off you go. That kind of strife is not what God wants us to have in our relationship with Him. So contrast, just to help us see the contrast, what is the difference between a slave you know, attitude and a son's attitude. And of course, when we talk about son of sons of God, we're referring daughters of God as well. So that's all of us, all right? A slave would fear losing position, but not a son or a daughter. A slave has no inheritance. And your relationship is work, something you need to do to have. But a son, no. You just have a relationship with the Father. Your inheritance is yours. A slave needs to earn and keep the approval. A son, you function, you, you, you're in the, on the basis of you're approved already. A slave, 
obedience out of fear and a son, your affection drives your obedience. Very different. A, sla a slave would have security drawn from how he or she performs. Right? Am I pleased? Am I doing everything right? Right? Walking on eggshells. But a son, your identity and security, you're drawing it from the love of the Father. Picture Jesus rising from his baptism in the river before he did anything, before he raised the dead, anything. This is my son. Look at that for a while. I'm not sure why I'm slowing down, but I feel like I need to have you guys look at this for a while. Maybe some of us feel, I don't have a problem with this, you know. I'm not good. I don't think so. I feel like this morning God wants to tell some of us who have been following him for a long, long time. Maybe years ago, you've heard similar. Or maybe just last year, you've dealt with some of these, you know, hurts that you have with you. But right now, this morning, God would tell you, there's something, there's something that you're carrying, or there's something you've not addressed, or there's something new that you experienced in this past year that have wounded you very deeply. And I'm calling you to revisit, how do you see me as your father? I recently uh, was part of a, like a healing seminar. And we were talking in small groups. And I just needed to, you know, allow God to dig up some very deep, long issues in my heart. And it's not because I'm ever like resistant per se in a safe environment. But there is just somehow that you don't really expect, okay, I've, I've kind of dealt with this before, I pray about it, okay, never mind, just share it again. But then, then, bam, as you talk, right, as you just share and allow God to help you be vulnerable in your sharing, and it helps to talk with someone about it, right? Then, like, from 30 years ago, stuff that I thought I had healed from, God brought back. And I'm not, it's, it's not like, um, oh, you know, uh, that means I didn't progress from there. No, it's not. It's just seasons in life where we mature. And right now, God would decide, you know what? I think, Janice, you need to go back there again before the next season, right? And, and back there, what you dealt with was good. But right now, I want to deal with it some more, right? And, and that's how God will work with us. We're dynamic people, right? And so would you listen this morning? What is God telling you? Don't just listen to my voice. And I know, I believe, God wants to deal with a lot of our pains and hurts that you've been carrying. And we've had no, you know, you maybe you've had no avenue to talk about. And so I'd encourage you just to listen to the rest of this, okay? If we would see ourselves only as servants, we need to find ways to earn our position and keep ourselves there. There is fear, there is anxiety, there is strife, competition, envy, malice. And our understanding of God's love is so shallow because of it. We don't understand his covenantal love. 
because you know our experiences are flawed. So as a result, what happens is your your experience of God's love is a servant's portion. We don't want that. We want a son's portion because that is your portion. And we missed out on the fullness of knowing him, the rest that we find in him, and the abundance of his family, inheritance, and the joy of his mission. We experience the pauper's cut of his grace. It's like the ends of your beef steak, you know, the, the bits that nobody wants. No, you've got the best cut. Are you hungry? For God, right? Excellent. God longs for us to rest secure in Him. And maybe we've forgotten that. We are justified by faith. We can contend and win because He has won for us. We can fight on in the darkness with His resurrection power because God would come and say, Mary, do you see me? With God on my side, what is there to fear? We draw from His love. It's all His initiative. Galatians 4 reminds us, do not be enslaved to the elements of this world. Galatians 4, verse 3, in that same way, when you used to be, but no. Verse 4 onwards, the fullness of time had come. Jesus born under the law, has come to redeem those who are under the law. Are you and I redeemed? We are. We've been adopted as sons. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. We cry, Abba! It's not like a, you know, a cold, informal Baba, okay? It's Daddy. It's Baba. Baba, Abba. You are daddy. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. Sometimes we don't realize it, but in the church itself, it plays out when, like Ziba, you know, we feel like we need approval from each other to remind us how valuable and loved we are. And I say this on the part as being a, one of the pastors here, one of the church leaders, sometimes we may come like, oh, you know, if, I, if I'm accepted right here and I feel loved and I feel valued right here, I need to see people value me so much and all that stuff. It's all good. We do value everyone. But sometimes it's a deception when you feel that that becomes the point of where I draw my identity. No. You and I, our sons and daughters at the table. No one more or less. When we realize nothing changes, God's faithfulness to you. He has said his loving kindness, his faithful loving kindness. Nothing changes it. How does that free you as you imagine it this morning? I want to ask and invite uh, someone to share uh, briefly his story of just coming to know God as Father, right? His name is Ivan. 
And uh, I've asked if he could share very briefly, and we kind of talked about it. Uh, yeah, so I'm sure God has something that he has placed on his heart. And listen up. Yeah. Right, Let's give thanks. him a hand. Hey, man. Uh, thanks, guys. I'm Ivan, and I'm very nervous. So, okay. <laughs> Hang on. Uh. My wife is very nervous also. Uh. <laughs> it's all good, all good. Very good. <laughs> uh, okay. She told me not to cry, so I try not to. Uh. Okay. <laughs> so the journey to knowing the Father's heart, right, uh, for me actually started 26 August 2018. So I could remember the day because I sent a message out. Yeah. When I was in Japan for a project. And uh, it's supposed to be a like, two-week trip. La. Something happened, then I couldn't work. So I had like six days of Lao and was just walking around eating ramen. La. And at that time, I was reading uh, this book called Sonship by James Jordan. And uh, I was stuck. La. I was stuck in the room. I got nowhere to go. I got no place to go. It's expensive. And I ran out of food to eat. Oh, same food. La. So I stayed in the room and I read the book. Oh, that was like, that was hard. La. So I found myself confronting some very deep childhood issues of abuse. And then I was... I was uh, in my message to our, our men's group, I said I was contending with God for something. Like, it felt like that. Yeah. So it wasn't pretty. Uh, in that room, it was, there was a lot of crying. There's uh, anger that came out. Uh, good thing I was in a small hotel room like, without my family and nowhere to run to. So I stayed for as long as I could master the, the energy. So then I realized that certain things were lost during my childhood, resulting in my uh, inability to take on my position as a son in relating to God as a father. So because of my own childhood, I don't trust God to provide for me as a father or protect me when I need it. And, uh, and I didn't know how to go to him for comfort because I didn't live with my parents until I was five. So, you know. so there was a lot of, health, a lot of uh, unhealthy self-reliance. Yeah. I have to say that day in Japan was the beginning of trying to see God as the father and relating to him that way. So one day after that, I asked him uh, how he saw me. So I saw a vision, or I saw a picture of myself uh, looking at my eldest daughter as she was playing in the living room. So I saw a picture of that in my mind. And then I realized that he sees me as his child. And I believe uh, this relationship brought him joy and affection. And there is an uneasiness that comes from, there's an easiness that comes from knowing that he's my father and my father belongs to me, and I belong to him. So, yeah. And I also realized that God is not as judgmental about me as I am of myself. Yeah. Ooh, okay. So after that day in Japan, uh, I studied, I went for a post-grad in, in social work, and I discovered more about myself. Uh, myself. So uh, I start to know why I am the way I am. That's quite useful. Uh. Yeah, it's quite useful, yeah. <laughs> Because, you know, when I messed up, then I kind of like, oh, that's my childhood reacting. You know, and when I'm angry with God and I distance myself with God, it's also me reacting out of that. It's not him. It's, it's really just me. But he allows me to see that. Lah. Yeah. So it's amazing to... Oh, yeah, the other thing. I went to this Father Heart conference. And... Uh, yeah. Okay, not crying so far. That's good. Yeah, so I went to the Father Heart Conference, and it helped me to read the Bible from the perspective of a father. Like he wrote that 
as a way of revealing himself to me and to the world in general. Of course, I read it as like, oh, wow, he's really concerned about me and he's really reaching out to me. And there's an openness. The, the thing about God, really, re, fa, the Father revealing himself to me, there's a vulnerability to him, which I found to like, wow. You know, suddenly he became my father and he was open to me. No, I no longer see him just as God, the entity. You know. yeah. Yeah, so I believe that, uh, so it's amazing to think that all this started from the hotel room like four years ago. La, and just moving into that pain and pressing into that pain. So I believe that my father wants me to know him as a son, as much, so much so that he is going through great lengths to do it. La. He set up this whole Japan trip. I got nothing to do. I got, you know, nice holiday and all that. <laughs> yeah. So I think ultimately his, his kindness is changing my thinking, you know, from, from a slave to a son. Yeah, but it hasn't always been easy going to the darkness of my past. So I think ultimately I think uh, I'm, a, I'm still a son being reviewed. Yeah. And, but my father, God, is with me to restore me to my place in his heart as a son. So I guess my example is Jesus, because he's a son, right? Because I have no reference for this. I don't know how to be a son. So I look at my friends, I say, oh, that's how they are with their parents. Sometimes it's not right also. Right? So I just look at Jesus. <laughs> 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 yeah. Better follow the right one, I think, you know. So yeah. Yeah, one of the key things that Jesus did in his time on earth was to reveal the the way to the Father's heart. So I just like to uh, end with this. Uh, from, from the Bible, John 17, 25. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So the, the love of a son and the father. Yeah. Thank you, Ivan. Thank you, Ivan. Actually, yeah, when we were discussing that, he was kind of, we were sharing some, like, you know, what might he share? I think many, many hours later, then he kind of sent some, like, you know, what he just shared. And, wow, I was tearing up reading a message. Your one I forward to. I'm not just kidding. Y'all get from him. But, I mean, that's so true, right? I mean, just that honesty there. Thanks, Ivan. Yeah. I mean, it's true for many, if not all of us that we are all, we, we need to learn to be sons. Yeah, no matter how great our, our families could be or not great, the point is, I think, you know, just there was always some areas where we struggle to really see God as Father, the way that He wants to be for us. And so, I love that phrase specifically, which Ivan shares, still a son being revealed. Yeah, it's not that our sonship is partial, but that we are growing in our understanding of it and our being able to embrace and, and walk it out. And it's different through different seasons, you know, as a daughter uh, in my family, I learn differently. And then as I get married and I have kids, reveal God's Father's heart to me in fresher ways, deeper ways, and more and more whole, wholesome ways, learning, wholeness, learning, healing. And so perhaps this morning you're like, you know, I've never really encountered God as Father. Just get with Him 
and just call out, Abba, Father. I'm not, not in a formula way, but I'm, you know, just lock yourself in like, God, reveal to me my sonship and your father's heart to me. Ten times, a hundred times, Abba, Abba. Reveal your heart to me. And many of us have woundings, right? As I've mentioned, there's been maybe just ways where our relationships at home have been fractured. Or maybe we carry some sense of rejection or just disappointment or just feeling uh, abandoned, right? Uh, maybe there's been some really harsh words, some very hurtful decisions, some violation of trust, some hypocrisy. And so there's resentment bitterness. But you know, beyond our natural, our biological reality, I want you to hear, this is a spiritual reality for your life that you can take hold of today. Beyond or whatever, you know, superseding the biological reality is this spiritual reality. It's a lifelong process, but it is a reality still for you to lay hold of and grow into if you would journey with God, Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us, John 1.12, to all who receive, he gave the right to become children of God. God is a father who has begun a good work in you, children of God, you son, you daughter, and he will complete it, he will finish it. God is a God who has good plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future not plans to derail you or jeopardize you, no, sabo you, no. God is a father who has inheritance for you, more than you can ever ask or imagine. God is a father who will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never abandon you. God is a father who will never give you any less than the best that you need. God is a father who promises to be with you until the end. You know, versus someone who serves out of bondage, I'll close soon, and versus someone who serves him and worships him out of affection, you can either come to God the Father as a slave or as a son. Beyond your biological reality, would you lay hold of this spiritual reality today? Love casts out fear. Would you stand with me as we respond to him? I feel a level of discomfort in the room. <laughs> Is it just mine? <laughs> Love casts out fear. And it tells us in scripture, Isaiah says, Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. God's kindness, he woos us with loving kindness. That's God our Father. God would say, instead of your shame, may there be double portion. Instead of dishonor, may you rejoice. In your land, you will possess double portion. You will have everlasting joy. Psalm 36 spoke mightily to me last year when I went on personal retreat. So as I prepared this, God brought again and again to mind Psalm 36, this picture, the feast, they feast, the people of God feast on the abundance of God's house. That we drink from the river of his delights. With him is the fountain of life. 
God would put fountains, think not chocolate fondue, but fountains of joy when you come to his table. That's our Father. This morning, if you just know God is prompting you and you say, yes, I want to experience God, my Father. God, I want a fresh revelation of you as my Father. And that's your heart's desire. I'm just going to ask you to place your hand on your heart and say, that's me, God. Would you reveal to me your heart to me as my Father? Wherever you are, maybe you've not experienced it before, or maybe you have prayed through this before, but whatever it is this morning, God is nudging you. God is speaking and, and, and highlighting and surfacing and aching your heart a longing. God, I don't know what it's like to be your son. God, I don't know what it's like to know your love. I don't know how to receive it. I'm ashamed. I'm unworthy. I've tried to perform. I've tried to earn it. But God, this morning, you would say to us, we are your children. We don't need to earn it. We don't need to, to gain your favor. Because God, you've already given us your favor through Jesus. And so we say, God, we respond as your children. And if that's you, you've got your hand on your heart and you say, yes, this morning, that's me. I want a fresh revelation of God as my father and me as his son or daughter. You respond to him with your words right where you are with your hand on your heart before we worship. Would you lift up just your own prayer and your own words to him right where you are and begin just to tell him, listen as he responds. you lead holy spirit even where it's it's painful even where it's i thought it healed god god we're not dishonoring our parents or our, or our fathers in this process but merely saying god we want to experience your father's receive your love like Mephibosheth God I want to be that one that's affection for you not out of fear but such an affection for you because of our relationship with you Father Father Jesus lead us deeper into your heart God mm. that's right let's just lean in further some more not hurry just respond to him listen what is God the Father saying to you what is God saying to you right now of you as our Father. 
show your heart to us, God. God. God is not about just what you want us to do. It's who we are in you. Who we already are to your eyes, in your eyes. Even before we jump into just worship with the team, God, we want to say, would you show us deceptions of the enemy, the lies that we've bought into, and we break off of those lies even this morning. We say no to the shackles of the enemy that keep us back from experiencing the fullness of the revelation you want to give of you as our Father. We say no to the lies and the shackles of the enemy that shackles us to our past, to our experiences that are less than, to things that blind us to being able to receive and see your insight and your revelation. We say no to these even now. Holy Spirit, your spirit that dwells in us, the spirit of your son that calls out Abba, Father. And so with that spirit right now, we lift up our heart to you. We say you are our father. We are your children. You are our father and there is none like you. And God, our walk with you, our knowing you, our knowing you is our greatest treasure. And there is nothing more, nothing more worthy than to have our eyes open to see your heart towards us. God, your acceptance of us and your love for us that is loving, unconditional. In Jesus' name, we pray.